Hi. Hi, everyone. Hi. Welcome to an extra special episode of Two Girls, One Ghost, haunted with one strange thing. We are loving these crossovers and having all kinds of podcasters and friends join us on our show and share their stories and share their formats of their podcast. And this is an extra special one because we were introduced to Laura and Maura through our friend Sarah Turney, a mm-hmm. shared friend. And oh my gosh, are we glad we did or were because we just, this episode contains one of the most fascinating stories. I think Corinne, you and I can agree that we've ever heard. We were, I am uh yeah, I barely <laughs> even know what to say. <laughs> Words. What even are they? Yeah. It's a story where you're going to have so many different theories pop into your head. And it's just a mystery to figure out what exactly happened at this very special haunted house, which Laura and Maura have spent years trying to figure out. And then they shared their expertise and their knowledge with us in the most fun way. So uh, you get to hear yes. a little bit about them, about this haunted house. And you can also check out their podcast, One Strange Thing, wherever you listen to podcasts. And then part two or part one, however you want to listen to them. They come out the same day. Yes. We are on their feed also sharing a familiar story of Jeff the Mongoose. (laughs) So check out that episode over on One Strange Thing. And also just listen to One Strange Thing because as you will hear in this episode, Laura and Maura's storytelling and Laura's voice because Laura is the one who mostly does the talking on One Strange Thing, is mesmerizing. If you were looking for some rhythmic storytelling, this is it for you. This is it, baby. There are are many strange things out in the world, and they they seem to find all of them. So check it out. We hope you enjoy this episode. Okay, we were already teased for the ghost story. So Laura, I'm putting you on the spot right at the top. We need to know all about it. Is it a ghost story? Is it a haunting is it a curse? It, it's a little bit of maybe all three, but that's kind of what we do, right? Is we leave, we oh, leave no, you somewhere okay. in the middle on our show. <laughs> I will say as a quick teaser too, we we tend towards skepticism in our work. Laura and I both we don't. Are yeah, this is we do not. balance now. <laughs> you guys can reel us back in throughout the <laughs> So we are very much skeptics, but we did have something weird happen a few weeks ago. We had released this story about this cursed doll in Florida. Which one? His name is Robert. Wait, Robert? His name is Robert. Oh. And... Laura, are you okay? (laughs) (laughs) When you find out what happened, you'll see why. I would love to be able to explain this, and we cannot. Um, So as I started writing this episode, I got the worst migraine I have ever had in, in, in like years. Years. I was like, could not see on the couch for days, for days. We recorded the episode. Laura got a headache for days. What the hell? days. And so it turns out that Robert is very persnickety about being photographed. And we assume that that also extends to having his story told without permission. If you meet Robert, you're supposed to say hello, take his picture, and then thank him for allowing you to take his picture or he will destroy your life. Uh, And so we did not ask Robert's permission (laughs) before writing this or recording this. And we were both like knocked out with headaches for 
That is wild. Almost out of nowhere, like unconnected to anything else in my life. Yeah. Yeah. What happened? How did it end? We released the episode and a couple days later, it was fine. We were considering sending him candy, which is, you know, what you do. I was going to ask. Yeah, because Robert doesn't like to be made fun of. And on our show, okay, when Mara says we're not quite skeptics, we are, we exist in a place of, in the middle of wonder, right? So we never say something does or doesn't happen. We, 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 we live in between belief, right? But we always tell stories with a little humor, right? We never make fun of anyone, but we play right? We like to play. I did make fun of Robert. You did? We cut most of it out. Um, <laughs> what did you do? What did you say? Yeah. What did you say? did repeatedly apologies in advance to Robert because I'm just repeating my past mistakes. This is not how I feel about it. Um, I did call him ugly repeatedly. <laughs> repeatedly. He, I mean, he is a bit Swiss cheesy. Yeah. Oh my but it was only in the course of writing this that I figured out that it was probably not a great idea to call him ugly. I had already written like a 3,000 word script where I had called him ugly routinely. And she didn't even quite say it like that. It was much more lighthearted and not quite so mean, but I don't think it mattered. So yeah, we both had migraines for two weeks, but I'm even a little nervous discussing it now, but I just got my meds refilled. So... <laughs> <laughs> so you're prepared. Yeah. If it happens again, I'll be convinced. I know. I was just wondering. I was like, what if we are all struck with like nausea and headaches at this very? So thank you, Robert, for your grace and good and good spirits. We talked about Robert before, right, Corinne? I I don't know who we did. It, but I we... have no idea. It was so early on in our yeah, podcast, and I have no idea if we were respectful or not. I I hope probably we... not. <laughs> I hope we had some <laughs> respect, but I don't know. We have been really haunted. So maybe it just has never left and it's been Robert. Yeah. We never know who or what it is. It's interesting though, that once you guys released the episode, that it, it, all the migraines and headaches started to roll back because that's, I wonder what the sort of limbo was for. Was he trying to urge you to tell his story quicker which would kind of go against what we've been told was he about asking him. for a rewrite. We don't know. I think he's right. a mean editor. Or was he just like, yeah. it's too late now, so I guess I'll just move on. And we definitely at the end of the episode, we retooled it slightly in the edit process so that the ending is very much like, "Robert, we love you. Would you like us to send you candy?" <laughs> and so maybe he heard that and he was like, "Okay, they're cool. Great. Oh, wait. I'm going to get candy. Wow. I have fans." Did you guys see the video? Some woman who has a channel, I think, where she goes to different haunted places. She had posted a video only maybe a month or two ago where she was at the museum where Robert the Doll lives in Zach Bagan's museum in Vegas and was begging Robert the Doll to possess her little like replica of Robert the Doll that she had brought oh, in with her. Wait, Robert's at Zach's now? No, no. Of... Two separate museums. Oh, wait. Robert's... I was going to say, oh, I sorry. Thought... He toured. Who's at I Zach's? thought he was in Florida, yeah. right? He is in Florida, but he does leave. He's on an island in Florida. So occasionally he leaves the island and like goes to the mainland for, mm. for natural conventions. He may have been on tour. Robert on tour. I could have been misremembering. I think clearly Sabrina was probably the one that presented this information since I'm lacking. It was definitely it was you, me. Karen. Oh. Well, but they do, they do sell minis. So you got that. That, that yeah. is correct. Yeah. Yeah. Have you guys had any other experiences through the different topics that you guys 
discuss any other? We've had some people, um, so we cover a lot of different kinds of stuff, you know? So we, we cover and we try to cover stuff that most people haven't heard of because we dig really deep into like regional news archives and find these little lost stories of just strange things that happen to really normal people. And one of our very favorites is this uh, UFO abduction that most people haven't heard of, of this trucker who was driving several tons of ketchup and mustard across Virginia and, you know, <laughs> I'm ready. Yeah. And disappeared. The whole thing is perfect and disappeared for 12 hours and woke up at the place he was supposed to be with no memories after this blinding light had come into his truck and, you know, feeling this feeling of going up in the air. And the story is just wild. The episode's called, do you know what episode? Not, yeah, maybe nine, mad. I think somewhere in that range okay. it's called the, the trucker. trucker. Yeah. But it's just trucker. a wild ride. It involves wow. aliens talking to him for weeks afterward and him showing up places <gasps> just totally soaked in water, you know, all kinds of stuff. Oh, my gosh. How perfect that we're recording this on May 4th. May the 4th be with you because that's how I'm going to celebrate today. I'm going to listen to that episode. Yeah, absolutely. Something about me is that I desperately want to be abducted by aliens. And so all I do is just like listen to stories of other people getting abducted. And I'm like, okay, what do I need to do in my life to replicate this this situation? It feels a little bit like asking Robert to possess something for you. Uh-huh. Like <laughs> yeah. you're unlocking something that you maybe wish. Totally. Find some condiments, go to Virginia, you know? Okay. Um, okay. That trucker story is wild. His son found us. Oh, wait, his son found you, you said? So sometimes the people who involved will find us. And his son found us and was like, this is the best thing that has ever been written or said about my father. And it was, it was in our our spam. And of course, you know, I, we also work in true crime. So we pay a lot of it in a separate way. Right. So we pay a lot of attention to how we talk about people. But when I get an email that's called the trucker was my dad, I'm like, oh my gosh, you know, I'm like, I think I told, I told this respectfully. I think I told it well. Let me open this. And he was like, this was great. I loved it. Oh, good. Oh, that's what so a relief. Nice. So, but yeah, but, because we're writing about stuff yeah. that has happened generally post 1950, a lot of these people are very much still alive. <laughs> and if they listen to podcasts, they they stumble upon us occasionally. I have two questions. One, well, I forget my second one. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I will let you know if I think of my second one. But how did you both get into? the strange and unusual has it always been has it been a lifelong interest or how did yeah how did you find yourselves here do you want to tell the story of how the show started because like you can tell that story and i can explain how i was raised (laughs) (laughs) um so i mean i found the x-files as an early teen um and that was sort of my first foray into the genre um I was not raised especially superstitious. Um, I was not raised by people who are interested in the idea that aliens walk among us or anything like that. Um, so it's it's really been a more like in the context of fiction interest for me. Um, and only now am I sort of realizing that there may be more credence to that sort of thing than I thought. Um, but the show started because Laura and I in... September, it was really more like early summer of 2020. So the pandemic had been going for a couple months. Um, We were working together on the fall line, which is strictly like hyper researched, hyper ethical true crime. Um, And we were looking for sort of a creative 
outlet so that we didn't go insane. Right. Because there was so much heaviness in the topics you were discussing. So we wanted to do something fun and humorous and like fun to produce and fun to make. um, And that hopefully would help other people have a little fun too, because it was such a terrible, can we curse on your show? Super shitty. Like it was a terrible, shitty, awful time. Um, And so we had sort of been kicking around the idea of doing another show for a bit, but we settled on what if we look for actual instances of the bizarre and the supernatural, and we present them in a way that is both straight-faced, but also like with a wink and a nod. Um, And so the first episode we did, and we didn't know if it would go anywhere, we didn't know if it was the only one we'd ever do, um, was about this ring that a high school sweetheart couple had exchanged, a class ring. Um, So the boy gave it to the girl. Um, The girl set it down on the sink in the mall in like the, the 80s. I forget when it was, 70s or 80s. Um, set it down on the sink while she washed her hands because it was a little bit too big. Um, and then left the mall bathroom, realized that she forgot the ring, went back, the ring was gone. Decades later, the ring shows up several feet under the ground in the woods in Finland. And the person who found it was just metal detecting, dug it up, posted online, figured out the class, like this person was finished. He had no idea what a class ring was figured out who the school was, posted in class Facebook groups, and the ring found its way back to that girl. In Maine. Oh. In Maine. Her husband had died. Her husband so. had died. She had married that high school sweetheart. What in the world? And so the oh ring got back to her, and she has it. That is, I am like holding myself because I have that goosebumps. Is, yeah. So we came out the gate with that one, and I think that is probably why we were able to keep going because that was the one that like we showed to advertisers that was the demo um and so we we have just gone from there but there's all kinds of stories like that if you know where to look there's all kinds of stories like that that was my second question thank you for reminding me how do you do your research you were saying you do region like looking at regional archives is that in person because uh, how do we get in there? So, okay, we're a, we have a bit of an advantage here. I was an um, English professor for over a decade. I'm a trained archival researcher. I also do primary research. Like I go out in the field and do research. Um, Mara is a trained researcher. So if we can't find something, I'm very used to calling libraries and sweet-talking librarians. For the trucker episode, um, we actually have a copy of one article I knew existed but couldn't get. And she sent it to me and she said, I'm really sorry, there's going to be something on this, right? And I thought it was going to be like coffee or something. No, someone had snuck into the library and put a giant stamp of a UFO across the entire thing. So I have a, a picture. I can send it to you this huge stamp someone had put across it like someone's like this is what i'm doing today in like 1984 or something (laughs) um so that's how that's what we do so we of course have the same subscriptions that everyone else has um but we also you know we'll go to archives special collections sometimes call uh you know various folks oftentimes i'll get on ancestry and do stuff um you know and we have just you know connections from our lives being researchers in true crime as well so I hope you understand that by telling us this, you two are now going to become 
our resources. <laughs> and when we can't yeah, find something, this yeah. that. <laughs> Laura, you should definitely talk about the lizard man as your origin story. Well, I'm, I'm going, yeah. <laughs> delicious. I also want to add guys, public libraries, and this is for all your listeners too. Librarians love to help. Especially they love to find hard to find stuff. Call special collections. Like if you have a date range, they will help you. We just recently started getting more into that, but because we have, you know, two episodes a week, we're like, okay, how do we start researching months in advance so we have the time to do all of that rather than researching a week before we record because that limits the amount of time you have. And I'll say too, like it's not just Laura and I doing all of this. We have a team of research assistants who generally also work on the fall line. Um, but one of their homework assignments is to sort of always be searching for keywords like aliens or paranormal or unexplained or whatever in newspaper archives. Um, and then they pull screenshots and we have these, you know, hundred page long Google Docs where they're just pooling stuff for us. Team sounds way, you're making Sabrina sound like this is something that can easily happen. These are a couple, <laughs> these are a couple of my old students, mostly Sabrina, um, who okay. like work for us on a very part-time basis, a couple hours a month to pull things, but you could totally do that. So don't think you have to have like a team, right? So I mean, it's someone, a team of doing yeah. stuff that we don't personally have to do. Yeah. yeah. So. I just don't want her to think that yeah. she has to like go assemble like a Marvel team. 40 hours a week. Oh, I'm yeah. for sure about to assemble a Marvel team. A couple of uh, grad students who um, know how to do research and have access to a college library because they have all those subscriptions that are extra. They, oh. Yeah. And they can go in there and do a little searchy searchy for you and pull some articles. I feel like this is this episode has become not only get to know you and hear all of your spooky stories, but it has also become a business lesson for Corinne and I. Yeah, we're learning. Yeah. We're happy to learn from you guys too, because I think you're really, really good at the, like, interacting with people and, like, remembering to have visual. <laughs> this show is very carefully constructed so that Laura and I only ever have to talk to each other. Yeah. <laughs> Which we need to remember to stop doing and actually, like, talk to listeners. <laughs> Well, how lucky are we that we got to pull you in to this yeah, class? You are very excited to Okay, wait, what is the lizard man? Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay, so you have to understand that I was raised by a benign conspiracy theorist, okay? And by that, I mean, like, not the one who's like the government, but the kind who's like aliens. Do you know? Like my mom. Oh, that's us. Yeah, that's my, us. like my mom <laughs> believes in ghosts. My mom believes in Bigfoot, like intensely, right? Oh, we all would my, love her parents. Yeah, my mom. Yes, let's have them on next. My, my can dad, we phone a friend? Can we bring her in yeah, right my, now? I would love it. My dad's along for the ride, okay? But my mom, my mom even will believe in like the ones where you're like, really? Like the Loveland frog? She's like, maybe, maybe the frog. That's correct. You know? That's me. So I'm like, who's to say it's not? If we have no proof that it's not. That's my mom. And so I was a really little kid in the late 80s in South Carolina. Um, and that's you can that that's where the accent comes in. Um, when the lizard man panic struck. And this is the most famous uh, cryptid in South Carolina. And he was spotted by a teenager. And he was just running amok about two or three towns over. Um, we moved a lot. So and my dad uh, was a, a newspaper reporter at the time. So he didn't get to cover that because he was on investigations, like serious investigations. But there was like these, you have to Google it because the poor teen who saw him did like a sketch. Um, and it, it looks kind of like that leprechaun sketch if you've seen it, you know, of like, like yeah, <laughs> like that. Um, but the lizard man was coming out of the swamps and attacking not people, but their cars, like chasing cars and like ripping parts of cars off. And like, there, it was just this huge 
month or two long a cryptid panic happening in this really small area of South Carolina. Um, and just was this huge thing. And there was, you know, documentary crews and now they have a lizard man festival <laughs> and it's become this giant South Carolina tale. And it's kind of a really original and interesting cryptid, but I actually got to be there when it was happening, except I was so little that I didn't really understand what was happening because Z was on TV at the same time, which was a really weird TV show about aliens, you know, cause I was like in like, well, it was really long time ago. Um, it was, but it was basically people wearing human suits and eating rats and stuff. It was too scary. I wasn't allowed to watch it. Um, but there was ads on TV at the same time. And I was like blending all this stuff together. And I was like, all right, well, all this is real. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it just kind of, Were you scared? You were so young. I was just, I was just confused. And my mom, of course, yeah. would talk about this stuff with absolute authority. <laughs> She's like, Mm-hmm. You know, not like, look at this crazy, zany stuff. She's like, there's a lizard man on the loose. <laughs> but then, it, which is interesting, because at a young age, I feel like, I mean, Crit and I talk about this a lot. When kids are experiencing this and their parents are accepting of it, they know no different, which is, I appreciate because then it's like they, a child doesn't feel like they are doing something wrong or like they're crazy for having these experiences. And then... It sounds like, Laura, it just became part of your everyday life. It did. And my mom was always seeing UFOs and saying they're spirits and stuff. And I, of course, was a very logical child. And I was like, well, I don't know about that. But just, you know, growing up and just accepting for a fact there was a lizard man running amok, uh, you know, three, four miles over. I think that did shape me <laughs> in a lot of yeah. ways. Yeah, I can the, lizard the lizard man is now part of One Strange Thing canon. Yeah, uh, we do have an episode on him. Yeah. Wow. Full circle. It's so weird that the lizard man was just really hating on automobiles. It's yeah, that's such a strange sort of like what did the cars do to him? irritate his swamp area? Because South Carolina um, does have some swampy areas, which you wouldn't think necessarily, but there's it's actually land. like an environmental justice story if you dig deep enough. <laughs> this is her <laughs> NPR reporter side coming out. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, I'm over here being like, oh, maybe. They just have an appetite for metal. Maybe it's lacking in this metal nutrients, right? eating sheet metal, like that. Yeah. yeah, maybe it was. There was a new residential neighborhood that was put in near. It was like an offshoot of my parents' neighborhood, and for years, everyone in the town was trying so hard to fight against this neighborhood being developed. And what a lot of people did would they would they would survey the land and put up like hunting cameras and nature cameras and try to document all of the animals that like this was their habitat. And that was the big stance against this residential area being built. It was built. But I love the idea that this lizard man could be used as an argument to protect the swamps. Like that's incredible. Like you can't, there are regular frogs. And then there's also this giant frog lizard man who lives here. I love that. I want to be in that room when someone presents that. No, we we love the lizard man. We tend to take a really favorable stance toward cryptids. Like the cryptids can do no wrong. Us too. Yeah. All right. We're all in the right place. <laughs> we, one of our merch shirts is uh, Bigfoot is my boyfriend. Because despite Corinne getting married at the end of this month, she has a side piece and it's Bigfoot. As you should. I feel like you should allow room for that. Yeah. It's a hall pass. <laughs> if you're going to have a hall pass. I just want to... I'm waiting for my big, my own Bigfoot hunting show to happen. But what would you do if you found Bigfoot? Probably perish on the spot from excitement, 
heart attack. I don't know. He smells though too. So you might faint just from the smell. I would hope you at least get to like hold hands. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Sabrina once asked me, she said, if Bigfoot was just like an actual creature that we all got to know and he started his own foot fetish OnlyFans, would you join the OnlyFans? And I was like, I wouldn't because we would be thick as thieves. Like we'd be friends <laughs> and I'd be able, I'd see those little hairy niblets every single day. Like I don't yeah. need to pay for that. I don't need to pay for a subscription. <laughs> but I wouldn't shame I got, the, I got early access. <laughs> <laughs> well, Bigfoot, if you're out there. We, we love you. Just like how Sabrina's been asking aliens to abduct her for years. I feel like I've been very favorably speaking about Bigfoot. So if he hasn't heard me yet, I don't know if the Bigfoots will will ever come for me. But <laughs> they're waiting for I'm, the right time. I'm ready. Okay, so Laura has the lizard man. Sabrina has the alien. I have the Bigfoot. Maura, what are you, what are you drawn what to? Am I, what am I begging to have happen? Um, I would love a ghost friend, I think. I would oh. love to have like, and and we have stories like this. Um, Laura, actually the script I sent you last night at an ungodly hour has a ghost like this uh, who's just friendly and wants to protect everyone and be friends. And maybe he follows you when you move out of the house because he's just attached. Um, I think that would be marvelous. Just like, just like knock something down and let me know that you're there. I, I think that's sweet. I'm all for it. We do have a ghost. His name is Sven. Well, okay. A listener named our spirit Sven. We also believe Sven encompasses many spirits. Um, but Sven has been known to pay uh, listeners a visit. Yeah, you're here, so... I'm begging. You'll get something. Well, we are so excited you're here because when we started talking about what this crossover would look like, you two mentioned a story that Corinne and I had never heard of, and we were like, we need to know everything. And it's been so hard not to look anything up about it because... I'm proud of you if you haven't. Yeah, we haven't. We've been waiting for you guys. We had some self-restraint, we're eager. I'm proud of. Yes. So I have so much material on this story. We had to like restrain ourselves. Um, I'll just say as a preamble, I used to teach this in class. Wow, I wish I could have taken your class. It was fun. I had my students, um, I would give it out as a topic and I'd have my students do as much research as possible to like, you know, be like, you know, true or false, like what could have happened? So it was fun. And this story actually started as an Instagram live during the pandemic. The first time we ever took it for a spin as like a show was Lara doing an Instagram live during the pandemic. Wow. And we were like, we got it. So cool. Gotta write it. Gotta write it. And so, yeah, what you're about to hear is a very, very condensed version of events because there is so much. Do you plan on doing a longer, less condensed version of it in the future? We have one. Uh, it's sort of a different, because it, it's a different take on it because, you know, on OST, I narrate, you know, it's a single narrator show, but we wanted to do it a little differently just to have fun with you guys. So, <laughs> woo, Corinne and I will sit back. I have my coffee. I'm just, I'm excited for a story. And please feel free to jump in if you have questions, comments, concerns, whatever. Okay. Okay. All right, here we go. So normally, Laura is the host and the voice of One Strange Thing and I produce it. We both take turns writing the show, but because we're here, we thought it might be fun to tell the story together. It takes place in Laura's home city and my former city, Atlanta, Georgia. You might call this a ghost story or a haunted house story or a really, really creepy unexplained event. 
We like to think of it as all three. So basically, it's our favorite kind of story. This is the story of the Atlanta Bleeding House. Laura, set this up. Absolutely. And I will give you our usual introduction to set the scene. On one strange thing, we search the nation's news archives for stories that can't quite be explained. This particular story first hit Atlanta papers in September of 1987. It's set in downtown Atlanta in a house on a residential street called Fountain Drive. And the Associated Press tells us that a retired couple named Minnie and Will Winston have been living in their home there for at least 22 years. Minnie was 77, Will 79. They'd been married for 40 years. They had a six-room house, but it gave them plenty of space because their adult children had long moved out at that point. And at least two of their adult children still lived in Atlanta. Keep that in mind. They were happy, but unfortunately, Will was also suffering with an illness that he'd had for a long time. So per the Associated Press, he needed daily dialysis treatments, which they were actually able to do at home. But the treatments really tired him out. So most nights he would go to bed super early. His whole ritual was he would set the house alarm and then he would hit the sheets. But Minnie would stay up much later. She was kind of a night owl. And one of her favorite things to do was to take a late night bath. So on the evening of, I know, right? I mean, (laughs) same. On the evening of September 8th, 1987, which was a Tuesday, she was still awake at 11. She's like, okay, bath time. So she decided to set up her bath. She gets in the tub. She's enjoying herself. Totally normal Tuesday evening. At least it would have been. Except for one strange thing. I have chills. (laughs) When Minnie gathered her towel and got ready to step out of the bath, she saw a puddle on the bathroom floor. A red puddle. Spreading quickly. Nothing had spilled. She wasn't injured. Instead, she saw what looked like a tiny geyser bubbling up from the pool. A pool spreading quickly across the bathroom floor, such a dark red that it was nearly black. She would later tell an Associated Press reporter, quote, I didn't get scared because I didn't know where it was coming from. It didn't occur to her then that it might be blood. Why would it? True crime podcasts wouldn't exist for 30 years. Minnie knew she had to go get Will. But when she left the bathroom to wake him, she was met with another surprise. According to the UPI, she saw that five of the home's six rooms had been splattered in red liquid, concentrated apparently, near the air and heating vents, but it was splashed across walls. Some spots would only be found way later behind furniture or tucked into corners. Minnie woke Will, but he didn't have any answers. Could someone have snuck in and splashed paint or another liquid through their house? But Will had set the security alarm that night, as he always did, and it didn't go off. Per the AP, the Winstons called emergency services, who responded with a fire truck, The firemen took one look around, saw the red all over the walls, and radioed the police department. Officers saw no signs of a break-in, no evidence of a crime. The Winstons were uninjured, but the walls were dripping red. The police were concerned, as they should be, because it certainly appeared that they had a house full of blood on their hands. And blood has to come from somewhere, or rather someone. So samples were taken and sent to Grady Memorial Hospital for testing, 
1987, it was simple to determine if the substance was blood and then to see if it was human. So that (laughs) night, Atlanta homicide detective Steve Cartwright was in charge, which is lucky for us because he went on to write a book about this case and some other cases that he worked on. So we were able to read that whole thing and get some insight into his version of events. Wow. Yeah, I was like, handy. Thank you, Steve. Um, (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) He said that when he talked to Minnie, he kind of grilled her about that red geyser. And he was like, are you sure there was a red geyser coming out of the bathroom floor? How does that happen? You know, are you sure it wasn't coming from somewhere else? But she was really certain. And she kept saying, I know what I saw. And you have to understand here, the Winstons were totally calm. They were not hysterical. They were reasonable, um, but a little irritated because they were tired. They had a house full of strangers. There was a lot of possible blood everywhere, and they were waiting for answers. And they were also tired of all the questioning because they simply did not have the answers. They were just as confused as everyone else. So Detective Cartwright decided to do an additional search as well as the officers on the scene. And he was going through looking for weapons and other evidence. And one thing he mentioned was whenever he was searching a house that possibly had had an intruder, he always checked the washing machine, which is something I'd never thought of. But he said people who were running through would often throw things in a washer or dryer because who would check there? Like a weapon. Oh. I was thinking someone was hiding the I know, me too. in a washer. I was like, <laughs> whoa, pop out the flexibility. And um, someone in the washer. But said, I'm going to check my washer dryer every night now because I'm scared. He said, that's a great place to stash weapons, for instance, which is something I had oh. never thought of. But when he went to go check the washer, he only found one thing, which were many slippers, which had red on them. And so he kind of came to her like, aha. And she was like, what? I had to walk down the hall to go wake up my husband in my slippers, which I was wearing when I got out of the bathtub, and there's blood all over the house, so I put them in the washing machine. So then he went outside, and he found a broom that had a little bit of red along the bottom. He comes back inside with that, and I assume he said, aha, to which she said, well, the fireman can tell you I tried to sweep up the blood because it's a huge mess, and they told me I had to stop so that the cops could look at the blood. So... Those explanations were pretty simple, Um, but you can kind of get the feeling from that that the police were trying to figure out what was going on because they never go straight to, you know, something crazy. Meanwhile, while all of this is happening, the AGC reported that indeed the police verified it was human blood. Not animal blood. And it sounds like so much human blood. A lot of it. Now, of course, it seemed like it had been perhaps sprayed right? But they couldn't figure out, like, from where. Like, it hadn't been sprayed, like, with a gun, you know, like, like sort of paint gun. It looked like it had perhaps come up from, like, the HVAC vents in some way, but there was no clear way that it happened in the basement. Um, so it was just really unclear where it came from. Can I ask one question, and maybe maybe you will answer this, but did it appear to be blood from one single source, or were there multiple? We'll get there. Okay. Yeah. Okay. There, I will say that It seemed like it all entered the house around the same time, but it was in lots of different places in the house. Like it didn't just come up from the floor in the bathroom and then spread. That was one place, but then there are also other places in the house where it seems to have come, right? If that answers your question. So we have this blood spreading through the house, 
But we also have the story spreading all over the place, not just in Atlanta, but in other areas as well. Soon people across the country were reading about this mysterious bleeding house, and they wanted to know if it was a stunt. They wanted to know why the Winstons had waited a little while to call police, because they did. And there was no real answer there, except that perhaps they didn't want to get a bunch of people involved. Maybe one other answer, but we'll get there in a minute. But as the days passed, simply no suspicion pointed at the Wilsons, at the Winstons rather. And here's why. Per the AP, the blood typing test came back as well. So first, we have someone on dialysis in the house, right? And if you're on dialysis, that does involve quite a bit of blood. Will Winston's blood type was A. Got that? Okay. Many Winston's blood type, A. The blood type in the house, O. (laughs) So this is where things get really crazy, obviously. According to the UPI, a paranormal investigator from South Georgia managed to get a tour of the home. We don't really know what came of that. But after that, the Winstons denied further visitors. They hung up the phone. They wouldn't answer the door. They yelled out the windows to the people who were waiting on the street to see if they could see the bleeding house, that they weren't bleeding, there was no blood, and that they should move along. The UPI wrote that the Winstons suggested that die from a rug had been to blame. Obviously, it wasn't because it was type O human blood. They had another theory, too, that the steam from the pipes in their home had mixed with rust and traveled through the house and suddenly stained everything bright red. They didn't care what the hospital tests had proved. They were trying to offer up as many explanations as they could so that reporters could stop calling. I mean, it must have been so frustrating for them because, yeah, like you said, all these people are coming in and out of their house. There's no answer. And they have to live. They have to live in this home. And I imagine if my home started bleeding and someone told me it was human blood, I would have a really hard time wrapping my head around that and still live in that house. So Will Winston began saying to whoever would listen, it was a lie that there was ever blood in this house. Minnie told the AP, I still don't know where the blood came from and I'm tired of all these people asking me all these questions. You have to remember too that these people are in their 70s, right? They are tired. They want to mind their business and have their peaceful bath times and and be left alone. As for the APD, Detective Cartwright assured news outlets that there was no supernatural cause, which is, you know, a, a pretty standard thing to point out. He wasn't saying though what he thought might have happened. Unsolved Mysteries was calling along with every network. Detective Cartwright wanted the case resolved, but where could he even start? How do you solve the impossible? An officer was posted outside the Winston's door to deter visitors. The APD closed the case, citing the Winston's privacy and the lack of any discernible crime. And a sergeant told the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, we have done a thorough investigation until such time as we have determined a crime has been committed It doesn't merit a whole group of investigators working on it when there are homicides to be solved. So Atlanta was left without answers. Of course, no one ever talked about it again. Just kidding. Over the last few decades, (laughs) online sleuths have had the time to come up with some theories. Now, I do want to get your theories. It's your choice whether you want to give them to me now or after you hear the sleuth theories and our opinions on them. 
Okay. Why do we do both? Okay. So do you have any, do you have anything you want to toss out now? The first thing that comes to my mind, cause, and, and like we've prefaced, we are very big into the conspiracy, believe everything paranormal. So we've heard stories where a place where there's been a crime or a death before, sometimes the blood or the stains resurface. We actually just heard a story from Vinny at a stress factory who, when we did a live show in New Brunswick, New Jersey, who said his, was it his dad, Corinne, who had passed Mm -hmm. away in the house? And there was one wall that no matter how many times they painted it, this blood stain continued to come out of the wall, um, just no matter what they did. So there's a part of me that wants to go down that rabbit hole where there was like a crime or something that happened in the house previously that left this stain and it continued to surface. My students were with you 100% on that. (laughs) So I like the way you think. They did look and couldn't find anything, but of course not everything is reported in the media, particularly in areas of town that don't get as much support from law enforcement. So I don't think we can prove it, but I don't think we can take it off the table either. Right. Well, and the O the O blood appearing, I mean, O negative is the universal donor blood type. So it does make me think that there'd maybe be some more accessibility to stolen donated blood that would fit that or that maybe was being used in the isn't house. Isn't that so, more rare though? The universal blood type, isn't that rare? It is rare, but a lot of people... Donate. My mom is so negative. So if anyone ever needs yeah. blood, no, I'm a positive. Hit up little um, there is a reason coming up soon why blood was not as easy to steal then mm, okay. as it might as it might hypothetically be now. I don't know how easy it is to steal blood now, but there is a good reason that it would have been hard to come by. I am glad you don't know the answer to that. <laughs> but um, this these are both very good theories and theories that that we had to look into as well. First, of course, the main theory people always have, completely ignoring the blood typing, which I find a little irritating, is that it was <laughs> the Winston's own blood that they were just spraying all over the place, right? As people do. And to be fair, there is another story out there um, in a different country, and it's escaping me where it happened. I think it was in South America, of another bleeding house that uh, involved eventually it being solved with someone who ended up having a pretty deep vein wound on their leg and not realizing it at the time because they were elderly and like their skin tore, you know, and they're like, where's this blood coming from? But the blood typing matched. That was the major difference there. And that's how they tracked it. And was there a geyser of blood like that? (laughs) That's a different thing too. Yeah. There was no geyser of blood in the floor. Right. And so the blood typing is just not going to match there. Um, Another thing is, is that so with dialysis, your own blood is being cleaned. You know, that's another thing for people to consider as well. With my understanding of dialysis, correct, Maura? Yeah. Yeah. You're not getting someone else's blood. Your own blood is being yeah. cleaned. Transfusions I mean, would you know, be. Not, not, not doctor, <laughs> creative writer. Yeah. So <laughs> please to correct if wrong, but I don't think you're getting a transfusion. I think your own blood's being cleaned. Some people said that, you know, well, they still might've done it, but still I say, why? Right? They didn't try and sell their story. They didn't want the media attention. They actually chased the media away. 
Um, they turned down interviews. They turned down attempts at documentaries. They turned down attempts to go on the radio. They didn't even want to move. So they weren't trying to get out of a lease, right? They were pretty upset about the whole thing. And when we look at why they didn't call the cops right away, it turned out one of their children was actually on the Atlanta police force. And that is a pretty good reason why you might hesitate to immediately call the cops about embarrassing your child with a spontaneously bleeding house and probably also why they called the fire department first. So that all kind of comes together. So another theory people have had is, so what if it wasn't them? What if it was their landlord? What if their landlord was like, I need to get these people out. I want to sell this house, right? You got to remember, Atlanta is a very hot property now. It's, it's expensive to live here now if you haven't lived here for a long time, like some of us have. Um, but back in 1987, it was not a hot property. Um, Atlanta, especially downtown Atlanta, was pretty distressed. The land was not worth a lot. And having in place, good renters who paid the rent, you know, were nice, quiet, older people and had lived there for 20 something years. I mean, you want to keep them in place. You're not trying to get rid of them. The house is not going to sell for very much. The property value was something like $7,000. It was not very much money. So why would you want to, you know, scare them out with the blood of all things, right? That seems more expensive than, you know, trying to evict them. Yeah. <laughs> Another take is that some people thought that the Winstons went out, procured blood, right, and sprayed it all over the house, not to get attention from the press, but because they were lonely and wanted their children to pay attention to them. There's absolutely no backup for that, except that I think it has some sort of poetic appeal to people. Like, we need our children to pay attention to us. Let's spray our house with blood and make up a blood geyser story. I mean, I think that saying like, you know, your dad's sick, we miss you might work better. I do like the creativity <laughs> of of that version of the story. Oh no, the house is bleeding. Please come visit like, your parents. Yeah. Is that something that like 80-year-old Sabrina would do? Mom's house. <laughs> totally. <laughs> Honestly, I think 30-year-old Sabrina would do that too. <laughs> come come quick. Like, where's the progression of events too? <laughs> like you would assume that they would they would have tried some things ahead of time with their... Like, Kids and not just go straight to dumping blood <laughs> and ruining their whole house. Yeah. Come, yeah. come over, you know, we're having, I mean, I might honestly like, don't do this, but like maybe set a small fire first. <laughs> Something. Yeah. Or just one room, one tiny room, one. not the whole house. a little fire. Even with all of these little scenarios, it comes down to the problem of getting the blood, which is what we want to get into now. Mara's going to tell you why. It just wasn't going to be something that was going to happen in 1987. Wait, can I present one more theory? Yes. Because you said it was coming. It, it appeared to congeal or, or show itself more around the vents. What if someone crawled in the house and died in the air ducts and or somehow was producing a lot of blood in the air ducts? And then when the air kicked on... It or all the heat, yeah. forcefully splattered. You would but like, decay, how much, right? yeah, it's true. And also That's how true. much blood it would be coming from one singular body. It feels like there was a lot. Yes. I, I did have some students body. suggest that someone was spraying it into the HVAC system, which again, does make sense, right? Or someone even crawling into it. So I don't think that's a bad theory, you know? I just think they'd eventually... I mean, unless they were like, we're not calling the cops. I don't care if the house smells terrible. <laughs> you know, if they just weren't calling them again. 
and the forcefulness of the air that would have to project all of the blood everywhere. That also probably does. Well, yeah, because we had pulling and we had splatter. And this is something we get into in yeah. the whole version of the mm-hmm. episode. It's not a uniform spray pattern or anything. Right. And wouldn't there be guts and like other weird substances if there was a body in the vents? Probably. Also, this feels like a murder mystery party and I'm having so much fun. Okay, so there was no, we don't, as far as we're aware, there was nobody in the vents. Um, The reason that it would have been really hard for the Winstons or somebody else to get blood and spray it all over the place is twofold. Number one, Detective Cartwright called all over town. None of the blood banks in Atlanta were missing bags. And remember, it's 1987. This is during the AIDS epidemic. So blood is scarce because people aren't donating. And it's under really high security because our understanding of how AIDS was spreading was basically confined to blood, but not much more sophisticated than that, right? So blood was really, really hard to get your hands on. So a prank was possible, but the house alarm was set and it would have been really, really hard to get blood. When Minnie saw the puddle in the bathroom, she had been alone in the bath. So where could it have come from? It could have come from the basement, right? Someone could have, you know, stuck it up through the floorboards and tiles somehow, but it sprayed on the walls. It didn't seem like it was coming from the vents entirely because there was the geyser on the bathroom floor. And so naturally, people have turned to the supernatural explanation, right? According to the Winstons, they had never experienced anything like that. Nobody has come forward to say something violent or ghostly or otherwise otherworldly had occurred in the home. It seems like a normal house on a normal street. And even more than that, it seems that it was only that one single performance. So the house has not bled before or since. Not that the Winstons reported because they continue to live there. And that house still stands today, and people still live in it. And it's still a rental to my understanding. So, you know, obviously, if you live in Atlanta, don't Google it and don't go there. Don't bother anybody. Um, (laughs) But, you know, it's still there. And if it has misbehaved again in these later decades, no one has been willing to admit it. So the, the story of the Atlanta bleeding house has not been disproven. And there's simply no logical explanation for the blood. See, I know you said don't look it up and don't bother anyone. But what about look it up and stay, you know, monitor it in case it goes on the market again. And and then there's a watcher season two about you stalking these poor people in their house. <laughs> I think that if... Do you want to move? <laughs> I, think if, I think if the house is on the market and you tour it, that is absolutely legitimate. What kosher? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Thank you for the permission. <laughs> I mean, I have done a drive. I've done a little drive. A little drive myself. You know, just just don't but not stop. Not in a creepy That's way, right? Like not yeah. slowing to a crawl. Yeah. And just, yeah. Right. A normal drive. Yeah. Normal drive. I feel like this was a missed business opportunity for whoever owns that home that continues to rent it out to not just make it a hub where people can come and do paranormal investigations and like try themselves to understand what could have happened by being within the walls. And I mostly say that because I want to go there. Selfishly. Yeah. <laughs> we don't have to be inside. Here, you know, like this would be, you know, this is not Savannah, you know, so we don't have the same kind of haunted attractions here. People will come though. 
I'm curious. I would come. I would too. I'm so curious if there was something specific about that day that it happened. The date, the what, I don't know, importance it might have in history or historically on that land specifically. I don't know, but it makes me think of other stories we've read or we've heard where it's like, XYZ terrible thing happened here on this day many, many years ago. And for some reason, it has resurfaced. That would be interesting to look into. It's a good question. And Atlanta does have a storied history of awful things happening there. You know, the the stories of ghosts that do exist are often very much Civil War related, right? The burning of Atlanta during the Civil War by General Sherman. There's a lot of lore potentially as if as with so many places in this country there's a lot of capacities to to dig into it's a good line of reasoning and that's not something i think that we went super deep on okay another pitch this might be a little bit more outlandish but i don't know how you to feel about time but i very much believe it's a construct that we've kind of made up and based on stories we've heard i kind of believe everything is happening at once And what if it's not from the past, but from the future? Like something bloody will happen in that house in the future. Well, and alternately, Sabrina, I was going to say, what if there is some sort of alternate dimension, like another version of this life, very close to the one we're in, bled into ours for a moment and quite literally left its stain with whatever was happening at that same time, just in another version of our current life. That is so poetic. Will you please write our show? <laughs> life, I mean, life happens symbolically a lot of the time. Yeah. I mean, I think my mom would like this theory the best. So this would be like Janice approved. Yeah, <laughs> she's one of us. Yeah. <laughs> endorsement for sure. The hard thing with that is, I mean, with all of these theories is there's no way to prove. And like with so many stories that we cover, the the fascinating thing is all of these people who don't want to believe, who don't care, who aren't interested in talking about this on a podcast, who have been roped in and have no way to rationalize it, right? Detective Cartwright wrote a book on this. He seems like a normal cop who got wrapped up in this thing that he still cannot explain. He thinks he thinks they did it somehow in his book, it's implied, but he cannot prove it, you know? And some slippers are not good evidence. And to me, it still comes down to motive. There's an absolutely no motive to irritate yourself when you're in your late 70s. Motive or means. So knowing what you know and having so much research that hasn't even been included in in any of the podcast versions of the story you've told, what are your theories? What do you think could have happened? I have no idea. (laughs) (laughs) And I usually have a pretty good idea. Mm -hmm. Which is what I mean by our skepticism, right? We can usually come up with something that seems likely. I, I don't, like I... I'm dancing closer and closer to the like dimensional rift theory because I don't, I don't know, particularly because of the historical context, right? During the AIDS epidemic, this was a super weird stunt if it was a stunt and it was also nearly impossible. I had a team of brilliant, you know, early 20 somethings on this a couple years ago in class and none of us could do it, you know, you know, that's what inspired me to research it myself. And I was like, all good, all good on this. (laughs) I was like, well, I guess I won't get on this. I haven't figured it out. Do you know if they have any of the 
bloody evidence left over. Like I just based on uh, uh, like, you know, how science has evolved and I just, my non, you know, I have no expertise here, but my investigative side, I'd want to run tests on those things. So let me say this as politic as possible. Um, they closed the case, right? So I, we work um, semi-regularly with APD for our other um, podcast. And uh, they've moved evidence rooms like three times. So the likelihood that they will have evidence on a closed case is like nil. And again, they closed it because there was no evidence of a crime, right? If there's evidence of a crime and you close a case or the case stays open, it's more likely that you have some evidence left over because at least it was a crime. They couldn't come to a conclusion that a crime had been committed here. So what do you think would happen if this happened today? Because I feel like if a bunch of blood was found, even though there was no evidence of a crime, you would assume a crime has happened and it would become a massive investigation. They would assume that someone was filming uh, a discovery show, I think, you know, <laughs> they would be like Zach and then they would <laughs> do pranks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so I think, I mean, I think they would do a lot more testing, you know, they'd, they'd have that ability. And so, and they'd go in with lights and testing and they'd be busting out the IgG and, you know, getting on GEDmatch and, you know, figuring out precisely whose blood it is. And so that would lead to some answers pretty quickly, I think. Unless, of course, it's someone's blood from like 1844. Or... But how do you get blood oh, from 1844? I know, exactly. And then that gets fun again, right? So then that's... that's <laughs> and that's that's I mean, where Corinne rolls back in with her theory. If everything <laughs> happened the same in 2023 as it did in 1987, I think people would be much quicker to assume that someone was pulling a prank, either the Winstons for some reason or someone on the Winstons, right? Whether it was the landlord, whether it was like an estranged child, whatever. I Malfeasance seems like a more reasonable explanation here. And also because we live in an era of social media, right? The notion of having done this for attention is much more realistic, right? Because there are many more people in Atlanta now than there were in 1987, there are many more cameras in people's pockets now than there were in 1987. I think like the idea of it having been done for the sake of spectacle makes more sense now than it does for two people in their yes. 70s. And their land's worth right. a ton now. Yeah. That's a big thing too, you know, like so any of the above. So the fact that it took place in 1987 is kind of perfect in a lot of ways in terms of the mystery. This is blowing my mind. I'm like, I my mind went to vampires at one point when you were I know, talking mine about too. this. And I'm like, how did, how did I even get there? Like the geyser of blood is what is taking me away from a lot of the theories too, because how do you explain that? It kind of makes me think of Monster House a little bit too. Like the house is alive. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It does feel like the house is remembering something. I, I keep going back to that too. So that's as close as I get to some sort of time thing. This is incredible. We're, we're glad you liked it. If you want to hear the longer version, you know, we have it out there, but it's on our feed. We like, we, we like a good mystery. So that's why we like talking to you guys. That's <laughs> <laughs> true. Well, I'm excited because we're going to share, we're going to share a mystery on your show that I'm so excited to hear your take on. We're excited too, because our listeners are used to a very, you know, like proper presentation of I just, I narrate at them. And then I'm like, all right, goodbye, friends. And there's no time for discussion. So I think they'll view this as like a fun, you know, party 
to hear people talking and discussing. Yes. Mm-hmm. Creepy. Absolutely. I do feel very lulled by your voices and your storytelling. Like I truly, I felt, I felt like for a moment, people were probably watching Corinne and I just react to listening to something. <laughs> like, I know I forgot I was on, on video for a minute. I wanted to lay down. The highest compliment we've, so that compliment and experience. we got a comment recently from uh, some folks we work with in the promotion realm who like people with kids listen to the show. And so sometimes we do content warnings when the show gets a little gory or scary or whatever. Um, and so we had a promotion playing. That's just Laura's voice doing our trailer, which is pretty innocuous um, on a show for children. I won't name the show. Um, and so they tried it with their audience and apparently we frightened a lot of four-year-olds. I frightened a bunch. <laughs> and I'm a mom. That is a compliment. Yeah. And so as a mom, I was like... <laughs> no, but I mean, think about it. Think about all the things that, that scarred us when we were younger, like goosebumps, scary stories yeah. to tell in the dark. We seek it out because we love being th- frightened. Yeah. And so someone had to write those things. Someone had to produce those things. And the right kids will come. I My hope kid those listen, the right kids will. Laura's kid loves it. Laura's kid. <laughs> there you go. You have a creepy little kid. Yeah, no, we have several that's topics amazing. that were suggested by him. Um, <laughs> sometimes we'll catch production mistakes. Like, <laughs> I love that. If you guys have any wow. kids safe episodes, do send them to me later so I can play them for him. So this is the thing. We don't. We don't know what's kids safe. And apparently a lot of kids listen to our show and we're like, does someone screen this for them? Because I don't think it's very appropriate. Okay, I'll screen it first. <laughs> okay. <laughs> there's definitely curse words, but otherwise there's probably some episodes that are just generally terrifying, but there's also some lady talk like, in other ways. Yeah. I mean, the name of our podcast already is pretty illicit. So <laughs> he doesn't he doesn't get that reference. He was born after that. Era. <laughs> Right. Say, it's a like, very specific group of like, <laughs> if you're born between these eight years, you get it. Yeah. And otherwise, if you don't, you're you confused. Don't. Yeah. Yeah. I did have to explain it to my dad twice because he blocked the first time out of his memory. I think it was a traumatic experience for him. <laughs> so I had to explain it again. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> Prayers. <laughs> oh my God. Oh gosh. Yikes. Okay. So are you guys going to tell us the story now? Very spooky. 